Turn in your Bibles to two passages of Scripture, please. Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29 and Amos chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 29 and Amos chapter 4. Now my Bible, Amos passage is on page 934. Where it is in your Bible. But let's turn there, please. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. And then have your finger ready to turn to Amos chapter 4. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for what we've already experienced here tonight. These wonderful songs and the precious fellowship of the people of God. We thank you for everyone who has come to this house of God tonight. We thank you that they have dared to come through the rain because they wanted to come to the house of God. We pray that there will be a special blessing. May someone who is without Jesus come to know Christ May every believer here be stirred in his heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Proverbs 29, 18. Now, the book of Proverbs is a group, pithy, P-I-T-H-Y, pithy. short, pithy statements. You take them out of context and they're just as real as if they fit right into the context. It's just a series of proverbs or pithy, wise statements, many of them made by Solomon, a few of them made by others. And in this particular verse, there's so much meat. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now the word vision there does not refer to our eyesight, but our spiritual understanding. It is not talking about people who have 20-20 vision or 20-40 vision or whatever. It is talking about revelation. The word vision there means a revelation or a revealing from God. Where there is no revealing from God, the people perish. Now turn to Amos chapter 4. <clears throat> Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, a literal translation, ye fat cows of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that though the days shall come upon you, he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her. And ye shall cast them into their palace, saith the Lord. 
Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. And proclaim and publish the free offerings, for so ye love to do, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, another piece was upon which it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blight and mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have been slain with a sword and have taken away your horses. And I have made the stench of your camps to come up to your nostrils. Yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew, overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. For lo, he that formeth the mountains, and createth the wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, who maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the Lord God of hosts is his name. As we said in the message this morning, the prophets were never very popular in their own day. We love Isaiah today and honor him. But had he lived in the 1990s, we might have called him a rabble rouser. Might not have liked him at all. Even some of the God's people, some of them didn't like him then. The same thing was true of Amos. Amos was from Tekoa in the mountains, the highland region of Judea. And Amos was out in the mountains one day and he heard a lion roar. And he wrote later, and incidentally, this is the oldest book of sermons in history. This is a series of sermons that Amos preached. And he heard the lion roar. He said, the lion hath roared, who, who can but prophesy? I heard the lion out there. And if the lion can warn, surely some man of God can reach up his voice and warn the people. And so this is what Amos did. He spent his short years prophesying, preaching, warning the people. Very unpopular, very unpopular, very unpopular. He went up to Bethel and preached. And the religious leaders of Bethel went to the king and said, this man is a rebel. He's preaching against you, king. He's trying to tell you what to do. And he's uh, worrying the people. 
and he's a rabble rouser. Let's get rid of him. So on edict from the king, they went to Amos the preacher. They said, you can't preach in this city any longer. You can go back to the hillbilly country. You can go up to the Appalachian Mountains, up to the Smoky Mountains, up there where nobody will hear. You can go up there and preach, but you can't preach that in this city. Eventually, they got rid of Amos. But before they got rid of him, he called out a severe message. Amos was like waving a red flag in the face of Israel before she went down in tragic defeat just a few years later. He preached to northern Israel, though he was from Judea. About the year 900 BC, Israel and Judah had divided into two nations. Jeroboam led the northern nation, Rehoboam the southern nation, and they were in rebellion against one another. The southern nation had more good godly kings than the northern nation, but not either nation had very much going for them. And in that northern nation, God called Amos to preach a word of warning, to wave a red flag, reminding them that Israel would come to nothing. Israel would come to defeat if she did not repent because God had initiated the nation Israel as his special envoy. The nation Israel came into being to be a missionary nation. It was always in the heart of God that the nation of Israel would stand for the Lord God. One of the reasons for the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day, Saturday, was that the nations everywhere would know that there was somebody who made everything. And everywhere a Jew went, everywhere a Hebrew went, he would observe a holy day, Saturday. And when somebody say, why don't you work today? Why are you observing this day like you are? Why they'd say, I'm glad you asked. The Lord God made the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them and all of mankind and all the animals in six days. And on the seventh day he rested. And we are observing this day as a sign. It was part of their missionary mandate to observe that day as a sign. Now when Israel forgot about it, God sent the prophets to say, there's going to be a danger because you have forgotten to be a missionary nation. You have forgotten to observe that special Saturday. And you're doing what everybody else does and all the folks around you. And the, the scripture says that for this reason, God allowed them to go into captivity for 70 long years under the Assyrian hosts and later under the Babylonian hosts because they had not observed the Sabbath day. Now the scripture says, without a vision, the people perish. That is without a divine revelation. And I wanna lay on our hearts tonight four areas of vision that would be wise for us to listen to and to look at in light of what happened in ancient Israel. Number one, without a vision of a lost world in terrible chaos and confusion, without a vision, we're going to go down the drain. I speak tonight to us right here in this building. 
This could be true if it were repeated to all the Christians in the world tonight or in America. But I'm specifically talking to us. If we fail to realize the vision of a terrible world lost in sin, the awfulness of being lost, there are five and a half billions of people in our world tonight as we try to go to sleep. Five and a half billions. About two billions know something about Christ. There are about two and a half billions of people that know nothing about Jesus. That's the reason we have a missionary offering on Wednesday night, on Sunday night. That's the reason there have been men and women get up from their pews, listen to me, and walk down this aisle and say, I'll go, I'll give my life on the altar of service, I'll do it for Jesus' sake. I think of Larry Doyle, sitting over here one night years ago, college student, he walked down this aisle and he said, God wants me to preach the gospel and I think he wants me to do it as a missionary and I'm willing. And we knelt and prayed. I loved Larry. He was a blessing to this church. Larry later went to Quito, Ecuador. He's been president of the seminary down there. I think of Edna, precious, young, vivacious girl in college. She came one day down this aisle and said, I believe God has called me to missions. She's gone out serving our Lord under the Foreign Mission Board. I think of Lana, who came here as an unsaved, a lost college student. And some of the students here influenced her to come to Christ. She came one night from this section, came right down here and knelt at that altar and gave her heart to Jesus. Later, there came a love between Lana and Tack. And they grew to love each other and their lives were joined in marriage. Tack had surrendered to preach. Lana had given her heart to Christ. There was a day when they came down the aisle saying, God has called us to Japan. We're going there as a missionary team. And they've been there for over 20 years. Beloved, our world is lost. Teeming multitudes are without God in a world that hates God, becoming more and more agnostic, more and more atheistic, more and more humanistic, more and more secularistic as the days go by. And if we do not get a vision of the unsaved world, men and women dying and going to hell without God, and if this burden cannot be laid on the hearts of some young man, some young woman in this building tonight who will dare to say, I'll go, God use me, here I am. What will happen without that vision in your heart, a revelation from God in your heart? People are going to perish and you'll never do what God wanted you to do and you'll never excel as God wanted you to excel. I'm speaking to some folks tonight who if you would offer your life on the line for God, God could take those raw materials you have and refine them and bless them and multiply them and send you out to be somebody for God in a world so that you would be remembered forever and ever in the annals of heaven. And if you don't do it, you'll spend your life 
in the shallows, never having accomplished what God wanted you to do. There are 100,000 people going to be in Warren County pretty soon. 100,000 people. Already about 45 to 50,000 in our city. 80 to 82,000 in the county. And there are about 40 or 42 Baptist churches and uh, some, uh, lots of other churches. But there's enough people for all of our churches to work day and night to try to win to Christ. And we still let some of them slip through our fingers. But beloved, this church has a divine mandate from God to do something, to reach out after the unsaved, to go with Christ after the lost, to do what we can to win them to Jesus. Part of that, a vision of reaching the people of Bowling Green. Now listen, I don't like this and you don't like it either. Our church is the hardest church in Bowling Green to find. If we voted on that, if you voted honestly, you'd have to say that's true. We've had people try to come here and they've driven and driven and driven and driven and driven and got lost and went somewhere else because they didn't know how to get here. 10 or 15 years ago, when you'd say Glendale Baptist Church over on Rose Lawn or 19th Street used to be called, and off of Small House Road, everybody knew how to get here because Small House was the outest, the, the, the farthest out street in this city. Out beyond that were cornfields and so on, on out there. Today, new Bowling Green's out there. And it's hard to find this place. Now what are we gonna do? What will we do? Why sit ye here until you die? That question in the scripture. There must be a vision in our hearts that says even though I don't like it, even though it's a difficult thing and emotionally I don't enjoy the thought of it, we're going to have to find some property. And we're gonna have to start a work where people can see the vision of a church that will stand for the Lord God. I ask you tonight to have a vision for a lost world, a lost county, a lost city. The great world's heart is aching, aching fiercely in the night. And God alone can heal it and God alone give light. And the men to bear the message and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. We must go. We must go. We have heard the great commission. Go and tell. Go and tell. And we must do it as a church, as individuals, as soul winning teams. Shame on us when we go week after week after week and we have no great burden so that we pray. I went into the study a while ago before training union, I think it was. And there were two men in there on their knees, on their faces praying. Man. I like that. Man. Folks, we need to have a vision that will lead us to pray and will lead us to go and knock on a door here and knock on a door here and knock on a door here. And even at the risk of being misunderstood and being a nuisance, we must go and try to reach folks for Jesus Christ. Without a vision, the people perish. Secondly, I want to ask you tonight to have a vision 
of a mighty missionary task force. A mighty missionary task force. Now listen, the greatest missionary task force the world has ever known has been America. I wish everyone had been in training tonight and you had seen, document, documented the fact that America was built on biblical principles. I've been preaching that. God's preachers have been preaching that. You hear everything else on the radio and on television and in the secular press. Nonetheless, let all the world be liars, but God is true. And I want to tell you, America was founded by God seekers, not gold seekers. And the early writers of our Constitution and the great documents had no problem at all mentioning God and mentioning Jesus Christ. And this nation, the, the May, Mayflower Compact, indicated openly that the reason this nation was being founded was to be a missionary task force. And it has been that. There have been more missionaries go out from the shores of America to the various, various parts of the world than any nation that ever existed. And the gospel has been planted as a beachhead in many nations of the world. We thank God for that. And I believe that's the reason God has allowed this nation to stand. I want you to visualize a great mighty missionary task force. Every July, we have a team, sometimes 15, sometimes 25, who weeks and weeks ahead of time begin to plan to go down to the Rio Grande Valley or somewhere else and plant a gospel beachhead for Jesus Christ. And on the way to be a missionary task force at the filling stations and the restaurants and to stand for Christ. And many times they come back to this platform, sometimes with tears, sometimes with joy, but always with a flag saying we planted the gospel we planted the gospel in some people's hearts. God bless you. I want to see the time come when we can have folks go to other areas, over to the Indian reservations in Arizona, up in the Northwest, in those areas, maybe up in New England, maybe in the mountains of Kentucky like we've done in the past, and go, go, go. And I'm praying that God will call some men and women from this church to offer their lives on the altar and to say, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to be used by God to go and reach folks where they are for Christ. Amen. Now I want to tell you, caution you something. You're not going to be a missionary just because you go overseas or get on a bus and go a thousand miles. Missionary work begins at home. And if we're not missionaries here, we're not going to be missionaries there. It'll just, we'll just go for the ride. And I'm sure there are people that have done that. And so I want to ask that we gathered ourselves together as a great missionary task force to Bowling Green. And to go and say, by the grace of God, I'm not going to go through a whole week without sitting down beside somebody and telling them about Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. Now I want you to have a vision of a wavering nation. This nation has been the greatest missionary task force in history. 
The reason we were built upon biblical principles, but we're in a wavering condition tonight. The scriptures and the prophets spoke of men who went away backwards from God. They just turned and went away. Turn your Bible to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. And look at verse 11, 12, and 13. Hath a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be appalled, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. What a tragedy. What a sad thing. In 1962 and 3, America's Supreme Court passed it down an edict that has changed everything in this nation. <clears throat> if any of you were adults before 1962, you can recognize the change. Some of you who have been born or grew up since 1962 or you were real little in those years, it's all sort of natural to you. You've just come into it and you say, well, that's the way it's always been. No, it hadn't always been like that. In those years, an atheist woman used her little child to go to the Supreme Court and say, we don't want the Bible read in school because that offends my child and it did no such thing. It didn't offend her child at all. That same child later became a Christian and went out talking about what a, a, that woman, that boisterous, agnostic, atheistic, atheistic, godless woman that used that little boy, him, as a, as a ploy to turn America away from God. And so the Supreme Court passed a law, passed an edict, and they became a legislature. They weren't just a court. They said, no longer can you read the Bible in the schools of America. Why, the schools of America had always had the Bible. The McGuffey readers had moral truths from the Word of God. There was no precedent whatsoever for the Supreme Court to say that. But they said it. And since then, America's gone into a tailspin. And there has been a prolific drug problem. Rape problem, crime problem, drunkenness problem, all kinds of problems. And the world that once sat in awe of this nation now hates America. <coughs> Hardly have a friend anywhere in the world. The few friends we have, the national policies slap them in the face like we did Formosa, like we almost did Korea, and like we're almost trying to do to Israel. <coughs> This week, <coughs> there are more clear lines drawn in this election than I can ever remember in my lifetime. I've been, first president I voted for was Harry Truman in, in 1948. Didn't agree with everything he said, didn't agree with everything he did. I think he's turned out to be a good president. I certainly didn't want the other guy in there. Some of you, see, I'm not a, I want to tell you, 
Some of you think I'm a one-party man. No, I'm a, a person that looks for the man, what he Amen. believes, and what he stands for. Amen. I've always tried to do that. And I want to ask you to do that. Amen. Quit being a party-line man or a woman. Amen. One of the problems with Southern Baptists for years, there were so many Southern Baptists that were party-line people. While they said there could be no problem among Southern Baptists, no problem whatsoever. And they let liberalism eat away and eat away at the heart core of our seminaries and schools because they were loyal to a name called Southern Baptist. I was loyal too, but I went for the last 12 years and tried to lead our people to take stands against this liberalism and agnosticism that was eating away at our heartstrings. And thank God there's been a turnaround. It's not too late to turn America around. But it takes some people who will stand on their hind legs and find out where those candidates stand and say, I'm going to stand on biblical principles. Kapui with the party. I mean that. I love you. But that's wrong, wrong, wrong. If you're a Christian, be salt. If you're a Christian, be light. Quit saying, I'm a citizen of this country and that's different from being a Christian. I'll just be a Christian over here at church, but I'll do whatever I want to, say whatever I want to, play whatever I want to, vote whatever I want to over here because it's nobody else's business. Beloved, it's God's business. It's heaven's business. It's the biblical principles business. We've got some people running for office. One man endorses same-sex unions. He also advocates giving our junior high school students condoms. He also promotes child killing, you say. I don't call it that. Well, what do you call killing little babies in the mother's womb? He also supports placing our women in combat. I don't. He also endorses children divorcing their parents. The choice has never been clearer. The stakes have never been higher. This year's election will be life or death decision for millions of unborn children. Their fate is in your hands as you vote. After 19 years of unrestricted abortion, a new respect for life is just beginning to dawn in America. One of the candidates has courageously kept his word to seek protection for unborn children. He has consistently vetoed pro-abortion legislation and has kept our tax dollars from being used to promote or pay for abortion. But the thread and the threat to life in this year's election could change all that and doom the next generation of America's children. To gain the support of pro-abortion groups, one candidate has embraced the most radical pro-abortion agenda of any candidate ever. He has pledged to sign pro-abortion legislation now before Congress that would guarantee abortion for any reason, even for birth control or sex selection. His legislation would not, would not even allow parental consent laws. He is campaigning for a national plan to fund all abortions. Now find out where these candidates stand. I want you to have a vision tonight of, a, of, a, of an America that is wavering, right on the verge of a precipice. 
Now, I know God can take care of it, no matter what the election turns out Tuesday. But I want to tell you, drawing from the lessons of Israel, you remember what we just read in Amos? He went up there to Bethel and preached this sermon. They told him, go home, don't preach anymore like that. He said, God warned you. He gave you opportunities and you didn't pay any attention. Did you know that we've had natural, natural invasions from outer space as warnings from God? The terrible earthquake in San Francisco, the awful hurricane that leveled South Florida and South Miami, nothing like that's ever happened to America. The floods, the tragedies, the hurricane that swept across Hawaii, over and over again, God has warned us with natural invasions from his own nature. America is in serious trouble. Without a vision, people perish. We need to have a vision of a wavering America, a nation that is in serious trouble. Beloved, if you're a Christian, live like it, Amen. walk like it, talk like it. Last night, Brother James preached in this auditorium, packed place, wonderful crowd. He preached on separation. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. We need to, we need to live separated lives. God's people need to be identifiable. Precious little boy got saved this morning, had a big earring over here with a basketball or football on the end of it. I went through the line, I said, you give your heart to Jesus, now let's give your ears to Jesus and take that thing off. He, he had it off. He said, I got another one. I said, well, give them both to Jesus. Live like Jesus wants you to, look like Jesus wants you to. Play like he wants to, to listen to the kind of music that will honor him. I wish everybody here could have heard Rudy Atwood's message at Camp Joy on music. I have it on tape. I hope many, many of you will want to get that tape. One of the things that he said that impressed me was, he said, you have heard that what you read shapes your character. And the friends that you associate with shapes your character. But he said, I want to tell you that the music you listen to shapes your character. The music you listen to. Now you can pretend, you can be in a Christian school or in a church, and you can pretend to go by those standards. And then you get out and turn your radio on or go to your house and deceive your parents into thinking there's nothing wrong with that music you're listening to or put your earphones on and listen to it and feed your soul all of that trash from hell and it does something to you it does something to you if you don't care all right early this morning and i don't say this to hurt anybody early this morning i was called to the hospital a very precious man died. 
I loved him. I went to visit him over and over and over and over again. Over and over, some of you went to see him. I talked to him about Jesus and about giving his whole life to Jesus. He had given himself to alcohol and it got him. He went to the hospital at 10.30 last night and died early this morning. Now, if you want to do that to yourself with drugs or alcohol or trashy, filthy music out of the hell, you can do it. But there's a terrible price to pay. And you see, America says that's just fine. The radio stations, the television stations, the Christian radio stations and Christian television stations play all this junk, junk music and they put religious words to it and say it's just fine. It is not fine. And it'll hurt you. It'll destroy you. It hurts your character. And if you don't care, then you have to pay the price for it. It's up to you. I want you to see a vision of a wavering America. Now last of all, my time's up. I want you to see a vision of a gracious God who loves you. Wash you, make you clean, he said. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. God said that. God said it. He's a gracious God. It's not too late. It's awfully late. It may be too late to turn America around. I don't know whether it is or not, but it isn't too late for you to count for God. It isn't too late for you to have your life changed. It isn't too late for somebody here to offer his life on the altar and say, however much time God gives me, if it's a month, if it's a day, if it's 20 years, if it's a hundred whole lifetime, I'm going to give it to God and I want God to use me. It isn't too late for a church to stand up and say, we're going to care about the lost multitudes of this community and we're going to do something even if it hurts. And we're going to be sacrificial in doing it instead of staying in a place just because we've always been here. We're going to say, Lord, Lord, it hurts. I feel like crying about it. But if you will help us, we'll get there somewhere on an avenue where we can be seen wave high the banner. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of God, the mighty graciousness of God. We pray that tonight the Spirit of the Lord will move across heartstrings, that somebody, somebody, right on the brink of just selling out to self, self's will, self's desire, would turn around and say, Lord, Hear my, use me. I offer the strength of my life to you to be used by God. Maybe somebody here not saved, Lord, draw them to you. I know there are people here who, if they could give their all to the Lord, their talents, their time, their finances, 
Why, Lord, not only would you use them, but those resources they have built into their very life could bless the nation and bless our world and be the cause of turning many to righteousness. God grant that in Jesus' name. Amen. May, may we stand, please? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Brother Harold, come lead us in that, would you please? While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Now, God has spoken to your heart. If you heard him, if you heard from God, do what he tells you. Offer your life on the line for him. Don't let the message from God go in one ear and out the other or be like water poured on a duck's back. If God has spoken to you and there's a willingness in your heart to be used by the Lord, would you offer yourself to him? It may mean a recommitment. It may mean somebody coming to say, if God can use me, I want to be used by God. Or it may mean that you just want to come and pray, kneel at the altar, do whatever God tells you, but do what Jesus tells you. And this song says, Lord, while on others you're calling, don't pass me by. I want you to do something in my life, in my heart. While we sing it, what page is that? 361, 361. Turn there and let's sing. Will you come?